And we're going to get into this message of breaking free. So when you sat down and you heard we were talking about anger today, if you were angry, well, this message is for you. So um, if you... If you talk a little bit about anger, you know, there's a lot of stories. And one of the things I was thinking of, Gary called me months ago. I was like, hey, Jason, this is going to be our summer series. And these are our things we're going to cover about breaking free. Which one do you struggle with? I'm like, oh, I got to struggle with addiction. I got to struggle with what do, you, what do you try to say here, Gary? But anger is the one that I could do. I can handle anger. And he asked me, you struggle with anger? I'm like, well, I mean, I have. I don't know if you can see, but my hair was once upon a time really red. Uh, my son is 10 years old and he's in the back running around and he's bright red. And my wife has red hair. My sister's here. She's got red hair. My mom has red hair. My grandfather had red hair. I come from a family of redheads. And I don't know if you have a redhead in your family or you had a friend or somebody growing up that you are friends with that have redheads, but we are known, not all of them, but almost all of them, we are known for these fiery tempers that match our hair. And these, these times get me, personally, would get me in trouble with my anger. So I got a little bit of life experience. But what I don't have is I'm not a counselor, I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm none of that stuff. All I have is what God has worked with me on, and I have the scriptures that he's given us about anger. And that's, what we're gonna, that's how we're going to approach it this morning. We're going to look at what God's word says about anger. We're going to define it, and then we're going to hopefully take some actions to overcome it. And so first we need to do is we need to decide what is anger so we can all understand that we're talking about the exact same thing. So biblically speaking, there are two types of anger. There is justified anger and unjustified anger. And so the first one, justified anger, this is a definition or what I wrote up. Justified anger is always seen as a response to sin or disrespect of God's holiness and presence. Even in these circumstances, the response may be visible, but it is not sinful. So one example would be in Exodus, we see Moses. And Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's, he's with God for 40 days and he's in his presence and he's getting the laws that are gonna govern ancient Israel and he writes them on the Ten Commandments on the tablets, and you know the story. He comes down the mountain, and what does he see? He sees the Israelites worshiping this golden calf that they have made from their jewelry. And in his anger, he throws the tablets down on the ground. Moses didn't sin in that moment, and the reason he didn't sin was because his anger was a response to the disrespect of God's holiness. The scripture tells us that when Moses came that his face was so white that the Israelites couldn't look on it. They had to cover his face because the glory of God was so around him and on him. He was carrying God's presence to his people and, and in front of them, one of the 10 commandments on the tablet was being broken already. And so his anger was justified. Or maybe probably the most famous story to me with justified anger is Jesus. And he goes into the temple and he walks in there and he sees that they have turned this place into a business and they are buying and selling in a den of thieves. And what does he do? He flips the tables over and he drives people out. That picture of the whip when he's going after them. And, and Jesus, we know, didn't sin. Paul tells us that he was the perfect sacrifice. 
So as a perfect sacrifice, well, if Jesus went in the temple and he flipped tables over and he kind of like lost his mind a little bit, then he clearly didn't sin. But why didn't he sin? Well, if we look at the temple that Jesus was at and we understand what was happening there, there was the outer court where this was taking place. And that outer court would have been where people gathered, where someone may have been teaching or Jesus may have been reading scripture or referring to what the prophets had said, where people congregated. And then on the inside would be the inner court. And there, that's where sacrifices were made. It's where worship would happen. And then inside of that, is the famous Holy of Holies, which literally God's spirit dwelt inside that place. So when Jesus goes in there and he sees what's happening and he becomes angry, he didn't sin because God's holiness and presence was being disrespected by the men outside conducting business in a place of worship. So that's justified anger. And that's not really what we're going to talk about this morning, because if you have justified anger, then there's not really a need for sin. And sin deals with unjustified. So sin's definition, unjustified's definition is really simple. Unjustified anger is anger that produces sin. And this is the one that I struggled with, I struggle with sometimes even in some situations, and you may struggle with as well. And I'm just going to tell you, like I told you with the mission trip, if something's hitting you this morning, if what I'm saying is making you upset or what I'm saying makes you feel bad, that is God's spirit convicting you and trying to help change you and grow you and bring you from the position you're in. Because there's a lot of benefits and a lot of blessing when you can break free from anger. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But unjustified anger when I read through the scripture and I looked at the stories, there were a few reasons anger popped up in those situations. The first one, we're going to go all the way back to the very first situation where anger arose, and that was in Genesis. And so I'm going to read you this real quick. It says, Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering." But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So this is the first example that we see in scripture of anger. Cain was angry because he was jealous of what God did in response to him and his brother's offerings. And that anger, the root of it was jealousy. And I think today, since the very beginning of mankind, it's still here today, jealousy. And this jealousy, when left unchecked, continued to grow and to fester and to destroy this relationship to the point that we see the first murder in mankind in human history when Cain takes Abel's life, all because of this root of jealousy. I think it's important that when we hear what causes anger, that we begin to examine ourselves to see, do I have that in my life? Because you don't just get angry for no reason. There's always things and there's always reasons and there's always excuses, but God calls us to be slow to anger. And why does he do that? Because he wants us to be righteous like he is righteous. And sinful behavior cannot exist where God is. The second one that we look at is pride. 
And you know this story. This one is from Jonah, the famous story of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. And what happened with that story? Well, God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell the people of Nineveh to repent. Nineveh was a wicked city where they had a lot of violence. They had evil all over the place. And Jonah's like, I'm not going there. I don't want to go there. They're not going to listen and I'm not going to waste my time. And so he goes the opposite direction and God gets him and puts him in the belly of the fish. And for three days and three nights, he's in there. And then when he spits him out, he goes to Nineveh. And God tells him, you want, I want you to preach. And he's like, well, they're not going to listen. And he preached and they didn't listen. And then God says, well, Jonah says to him, well, now can you please destroy them? And, and Jonah's like, God's like, no, I want you to do it one more time. He's like, I'll do it one more time, but they're not going to listen. And so he does it the second time. And the king hears his message. He takes off his royal robe. He puts on his sackcloth. He covers himself as ashes. He sits down and he tells everyone in my kingdom of Nineveh, no one will eat man or beast. And hopefully this God who we hear is merciful and gracious will spare us from the des destruction that we deserve. And God heard that king's decree. And of course he didn't destroy them. And so we see right now when this verse is, is documenting the story in Jonah chapter four, verse one, it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. Jonah is angry that God didn't destroy these people, even though they repented because he was like, this is what they deserve. And why did he do that? Well, he did it because of his pride, because he thought this is what they deserved. And he thought, that he knew right. He thought that he knew best. And so therefore, when God didn't do what he wanted him to do, he becomes angry. Pride is one of those things that is countercultural to what we have today. We spent all of last month being proud for a group of people and their choices that they make in their life. We celebrate being, pri being prideful, being proud, even in the sports that my kids play. When they, when they win or when they do what they do, they, they're proud, they're, they're all proud and they boast. And that moment of pride is something that if left unchecked, if not healthy, will lead you to anger. Even a man who can hear God's voice, who's telling him to go proclaim this message, and he carries the power of God's voice to the point that an entire nation turns, even he is subject to anger controlling him. So this isn't something that you can be here and say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm a good Christian person. I'm the pastor of this church. I don't need to get angry. I don't want to get angry. But God knows that this is something that each of us deal with. Even the people that he uses, God uses imperfect people to accomplish his will and his task. The third one, and as I looked at the three in here, it happened a lot in the New Testament, but I was trying to think about it happening today. And it's probably not as prevalent in our lives as pride and jealousy, but it, it's very true. And that is truth. And we see the story in Luke found in uh, chapter six. And it says, Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or destroy it. He looked around at them 
looked around all the, uh, at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, I made a joke when we started that if you heard we're preaching about anger and you, and you feel angry, then this message is for you. And this is kind of the same thing that I'm talking about with this scripture here is that truth can produce anger. Well, how does truth produce anger? Well, it's because if you think about today, I think about these videos I see on social media sometimes, and somebody will go to a protest or go to a rally of some kind where they're all supporting something, and they'll take the microphone and they'll ask them, why are you protesting? And they'll say what they're, why they're protesting and what they're doing. And then they'll say, they'll hear what their words are, and then they'll just ask them questions about it. And each time they're kind of reducing what they're saying, and they're just by speaking the truth of what they said, they're poking holes in their argument. And some of these videos, these people just flip out with rage because they're so angry and consumed and all the interviewer was doing was pointing the same truths that they were showing and showing how they did not, they did not work together. Jesus did that right here with the religious leaders because they're like, well, what are you supposed to do? You can't heal this man because that means you're working on the Sabbath. Jesus is like, well, what's better to let this person die or to save them and heal them on the Sabbath? And of course the answer is, well, it'd be better to save them than to have them die, but you're still breaking the law. And then that truth that was taught to you, you're left at an inflection point on what do I do? How do I handle this? I think if you're a believer, <clears throat> and you find yourself where truth is causing you to get to a point of anger, I believe you need to stop and slow down and ask for God to his spirit to show you the things that need to be shown because it's probably his spirit rebuking or correcting or teaching you and that's moving you to a place of anger, which means you're probably having a struggle with your flesh, with the nature that we were born with. It's fighting against the nature that is God, that is his holiness, and that truth can produce anger. So we see jealousy, we see pride, we see truth. Those are some of the main ones that we see here in scripture. The next verse I want to read is from a James chapter one, the most practical book, I think, in the Bible. And it says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. My mom would say this to me when I was a kid. And they would tell me, not the verse in these exact words, but they would say, think before you speak. They could see on my face the expression that I had. They could see that I was, I was about to blow. I'd do it with my own kids. And they would say, think before you speak. Well, why are they saying that? It's because James is telling us how to handle this. You need to be quick to listen. You need to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. These, th these three things come in order. So when you are first listening to those in the situation, and you're secondly controlling and restraining what your response is going to be, then the third result will happen, which is you will become slow to anger. 
And that is the only way you can deal with it because there's going to be times in our life when we find ourselves in situations where it's just welling up on the inside. I only have one perspective on how anger happens and that's my perspective. And I just know when those moments come, sometimes just right out of the blue, I just feel it right up in here. And it's like, I have this compulsion to just say what I want to say, to just fire back if I need to fire back, or to somebody said something that was uncalled for and they hurt me, they cut right to my core, and I want to just cut right back. In those moments, and it takes a supernatural God helping us to get through that, and it is control my tongue, help me to be slow to speak, let me think clearly on what's happening. And that is the only way that we can overcome this. Now there's a story that I want to share that I want to spend the bulk of my time that I had this morning. And it is a parable. It's a famous parable. I actually preached on it here years ago. I think we did the summer of parables. Did we, that we called it, Gary? What was the sum, summer of parables? And I did the, um, the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, if you've heard a sermon on it, or you've read it yourself, or maybe you heard a podcast or some famous preacher talking about it, they always focus on one of two characters or sometimes the main two, and that is the, the prodigal son, the, the son who left and did what he did, and the father who brought him back into open arms. There's a third character in that story. It's the older brother who stayed home. And so you know the story. The story basically goes, the younger son comes to the father. I want my inheritance. Father gives him his inheritance, which wasn't his right because the dad was still alive. And the son takes it and goes to a distant country. And while he's in that country, it says, scripture says that he engaged in wild living. So he's partying and he is spending his money on prostitutes. And times change, a famine comes, and everything is gone. And here he is, a long ways from home. And he finds himself working in a field, taking care of pigs and feeding pigs. And he's so down, he's so out, he's so hungry that the food the pigs is eating is what he wishes he could eat. But it says, scripture says, but no one gave him anything. And he finally, the exact word is, he came to his senses. And he says, my servants at least have food in my father's house. I will go back and be a servant to my father. And you know the story, the one that's painted in, in the pictures of the sermons is that while he was a long way off, his father saw him and he came to him and he hugged him and he embraced him. And the word there is he kind of pulled on his neck. And that was the embrace. But the end of the story that Jesus is telling, and this is a parable, so when Jesus would tell a parable, it would be an earthly story that everyone that heard it could understand, and he would be doing it so that there was a spiritual meaning. And so he puts this part in here about the older brother. And so I want to read the whole thing. It's a few verses here. I want to read it together this morning, and then I just want to talk a little bit about it, and then we'll be, we'll be wrapped up here. But it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out, pleaded with him 
And he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So the reason I wanted to share this is because we see this story and this picture is painted. And what happens is right before this, when the son comes back, the father accepts him just as he is. And he takes his robe off, his travel, his probably the only set of clothes he had at this point, which were probably from the fields of working in the pigs and stunk. And he's gone a long way and he's dirty. And he puts him in a robe and they would hold robes at this house. So in case travelers came, the more money you had, the more prestige you had, you had nicer robes. And so his father gives him the very best robe. And then he puts sandals on his feet because it's a symbol in that time that slaves and servants didn't wear shoes or sandals. And so he's telling his son, you're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're wearing sandals. And then he kills the fattened calf and they didn't eat meat for every meal back then. It's not like this. Uh, last week I came into town and I had dinner with my parents and my parents cooked some ribeye steaks on the grill. And listen, that's not what they did back then. They only did this for religious ceremonies. In our culture, we have to have protein with every meal, right? Because it helps balance out the carbs and the fats and whatever, micronutrients, whatever. But they didn't do that. And so this man is celebrating his son and they have a party and they have music. That's a big deal. You listen to music on the way over here in your car from some radio station that has a catalog or maybe your phone streaming it of millions of songs on demand. They didn't have that. They got the musicians together. They had a feast and there was a party going on. And this story starts with this man who calls his sermon. What is going on in there? And when he finds out that it's for his brother, he instantly becomes angry. And as I read this, you see him tell his dad, you never gave me a goat to have a party with my friends. Jealousy right there. And then he's like, I don't know if you caught this part. This one was like halfway through me reading it and preaching it before I really caught this part is that it says the father came out and pleaded with him. And then the son said, look, you never gave me anything. I've been here slaving. And then of course the father at the end has his discourse of why he's doing it. But the father already came out. He already pleaded with him. He already made his case. And the older son, he just threw it right back in his dad's face. Pride. And in the very end, the dad, he's not moving off his position. And he tells him, your brother, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Truth. This brother is upset on every level of anger. So what do we do with that? How do we handle that? I mean, it's going to come in life. It's going to be here. And here's the thing about it. Anger unchecked will eventually make its way from the inside to the outside. If you don't deal with it, if you don't control it, if you don't seek God's help in it, 
if you don't get the things necessary in your life to help you overcome it, it is going to come out. You're not going to be able to hide it. You're not going to be able to suppress it. There's some good reasons why you don't even want to do that. But you have to control and check anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. So I referenced at the beginning that I had red hair and I had a temper. And, and when I was younger, it was, it was the worst it was. So I'll just say, I've gotten a lot better, you know, just having to deal with people. You just have to learn. You can't be angry all the time. You got to be a kind and loving and smile big. But when I was younger, I was in the fifth grade. And let me tell you this. Last week, I was at my home church. And Miss Helen, who's 81 years old, and she is been at the church for like 91 years. I mean, she's her whole life. This woman's been there. She's a church secretary. And she told me, she said, Jason, you've come a long way since that fifth grade summer with VBS. And I go there every summer. And she tells me that every single summer. And what she means by that is when I was in the fifth grade at VBS, we were doing the little stations. So you got the craft station and the snack station and the the game station and the, the Bible memory station, not much has changed, but it's, that was the station. And I'm at one of the stations, one of the kids in my group, his name was Blake. Blake was picking on me. That's what we called it back in the day. Today we call it bullying. And back then, at least me, I handled things different for bullies and we're allowed to handle them today. And so what I would do as a redheaded kid who was fat and overweight and always picked on is the best way to shut a bully up was to punch him in the mouth. So... I was redheaded. I didn't have any self-control. Anger was a problem. And after the end of that, just had enough. And I just went on Blake and just, (laughs) embarrassing. But the two poor women in that class were holding me back. And Miss Helen comes in and she's trying to talk talk some sense into me, get me to calm down. And that's what I became known for at that church was the kid who tried to kill somebody in VBS. And so... She's telling me, though, as a missionary who just preached and just shared about what was going on, she meant it as a compliment. But every year she tells me that, every single year, I feel the same shame and guilt on the inside. Why? Not because I felt bad that I was trying to kill Blake. I mean, Blake deserved what he was going to get. But I feel bad now Because I look back and I know that was foolish behavior. And the way I acted made me look like a fool. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying, is that anger lodges in the heart of a fool. And you may think, I have a right to be angry. This person did me wrong. The The truth is, the way God sees it, is that's foolishness. Because you're the only person that's being affected by that. And God knows that it's causing more things down the line for you. And we see that oftentimes when we deal with anger, that resentment and jealousy and anger all go hand in hand. And if we go back to this story, this older brother, he resented his younger brother probably resented him before he came back just by the fact that he was able to cash out his part of the estate and go do whatever he wanted. 
He resented him for that because what does it tell us? That he, while he was in the field, so no one even told him that the party was going on. He's out there still working his father's land and they're having a party without him. And that resentment real quick turns to anger. And that jealousy, they all are intertwined with each other. Now, we've talked a lot about anger. We're supposed to break free. So we better break free real quick, right? Because we've got like three minutes. But we got anger. And I was thinking, what is the opposite of anger? So I look it up in the dictionary and the, the things it said were the antonyms of anger. I didn't like any of them. I didn't feel like to me it, it fit what, what was what the opposite of anger was. And this morning, I don't know if y'all know this, but your worship team gets here at 6.30 in the morning to prepare for this service. And then the speakers get to get here at 8.15, so we get to sleep in a little bit. And they were doing a little devotion here real quick. And she didn't know what I was gonna say, but she made the comment to the worship team and the, team, the tech team, everybody was here. She said that anger, she compared anger and joy together and said that when we have joy, we don't have anger. And I thought, because I was a little nervous about standing up here and saying what I thought the opposite of anger was, when nothing I researched said it was, and then she said it, and I was like, all right, God, I feel like maybe that's a sign for me. And so I think that the opposite of anger is joy. And the way I got to that was because if you're in the middle and you're just neither happy nor sad, and you go to the extreme of anger, what would be the opposite? To me, it would be joy. And so the opposite of anger is joy. And when you're joyful for what God has done in your life, it doesn't leave room for jealousy to take root. So how do we do this? Well, in order to have joy in our life, we first need to be thankful. Because if you're going to have anger in your life, you might have jealousy leading to that. What's the opposite of jealousy? Well, be thankfulness. So how are we thankful? Well, it's hard to get to that point. I mean, if you really are having a tough time, if life is just really giving you the most miserable set of circumstances and every week brings another one, it's difficult to get to that position of joy. But, you know, if you're a believer, hopefully you're spending some time every day praying. And I don't know how your prayers work. I just know how mine work. I know how the circle within my ministry, when we pray together, I know how we normally tend to pray. And a lot of times we find ourselves starting a prayer off just saying, God, we thank you for this. And it's kind of short. And then we move into, God, we want to pray for this. And we want to pray for this. And we hit that prayer list of all the things. And God calls us to do that. Don't, don't mishear what I'm saying. He wants to know what our needs are. He wants us to pray for each other, for the hurt and the things that need to happen. He wants that. But in your prayer, start being intentional. And think of the things that God has given you that you can thank him for. And you may be like, well, I don't, man, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You're right, I don't. He does. But there's still a lot of stuff in your life you could be thankful for. Let's just go through a couple things real quick. Just right now, just, God, I thank you that I could come to church this morning and hear and sing worship songs to you with hundreds of other believers. God, I thank you that I can see my friends and community at this church who believe the way I believe. God, I thank you that I could take communion because you died on the cross for me. God, I thank you that I drove my car here and that I have transportation to get here, to get to work. 
God, I thank you that I had breakfast this morning. I thank you that we had donuts out there. I thank you for feeding me and taking care of me. Look, the list, when you start thinking about all the things in your life that you have that somebody else doesn't have, your prayer life, you're going to be spending most of the day thanking God for all the things that he has given. And when your heart moves from a position of jealousy to thankfulness, then joy takes root. And when you have joy, someone can get angry and you're just, you, it's almost like you've got a defense wall automatically built up that it doesn't eat you alive. Well, that person, they must be going through a lot like, right now. I'm going to pray for them because they, they really are really pissed at me. And I've, I guess I did this wrong. And, and you come from a position of humility instead of a position of pride. And God can use that and he can help you to help the other person in those situations that they're going. The other thing about this story when we look back in here is there's dancing, there's music, there's a party. Not just the father's inside and the younger brother, but the servants are inside having a party. And this older brother misses out on the joys of the celebration. That's because, hear this, if you hear anything I say this morning, anger robs you of the joys you have in your life. Anger robs you of the joys that you have in life. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life has dealt you, but I know that God has given you more than you deserve. And I would say that to the people at Jackson Lake, Newton County, wherever you live, I'll say that to you the same as I would say that to a family who lives in a pallet shack on a dirt floor, that I would tell them the same, God has given you more than you deserve. And for that, we should be thankful in what we are doing. The final thing I want to point out in this story about this son is that he tells his dad, you never gave me a goat. Never, never a goat to celebrate with my, with my friends. And what does the father tell him? He tells him, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That goat he was complaining about not having, he already had that goat. And every other goat and every other cow and every servant and every, every square foot of land was all his. But because he was so angry, he was robbed to see what God had given him right in front of his face. And so anger robs you of what you have. It robs you of the joys, the things that are right there in front of you. And you may say, well, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. And, and just thanking God in my prayers is not going to be enough. And you could be right. You know you better than anybody else. Maybe your spouse knows you a little better than you know yourself sometimes. But you know yourself better than anybody. And Eastridge, we have resources for you here. My number one thing, I asked Gary, what, what's the best thing to point people to, to get them into? And he said, celebrate recovery. And I said, well, how, how does celebrate recovery help that, Gary? We got a group just for anger. And you may be like, I can't do that. Pride. Pride. 
There's a group where you can sit with people who have already overcome that first step of pride and they're sitting there saying, I need some help. And listen, that's why God brought together every one of you in this exact same room, because our faith is supposed to be done as a community. We are supposed to sharpen each other. Iron sharpens iron. We are here for each other. We want to be independent. Pride. We want to do this with our own self, by ourselves, and that is never, ever the way God intended it to be. He's telling you to come draw close to him. And he's telling you that you got to get this anger out because righteousness is how you come to him. And then then anger prevents you from living a righteous life. So I would encourage you, if you feel like today I need to take that step, I would encourage you on Thursday nights to get it, celebrate recovery. And maybe, maybe it's deeper than that even too. And you want to do that, but maybe you need some counseling and on the website, The church has counselors that are available to help. And and sometimes you just need some one-on-one to get somebody to tell you, how do I make sense of the life that I've created? And I've I've talked with some of my friends who are pastors over the year, and, and they just said, you know, that person's life is just, they've made a mess. And it is not easy or sometimes even possible to fully unpack the mess that it is. The truth is we're just living this life And that's the circumstances some of us have. But you need to get help because your life is never going to be any better than it is right now if anger is controlling you. I want to leave you with this last scripture here. And it says, in Ephesians, Paul wrote this. Paul wrote a lot. He knows what he's doing. And he says, in your anger, do not sin. He's acknowledging that we are going to have times when we get angry. And he's telling us, but when it happens, don't sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So when I was younger and I would get angry, I would, oh, I would be pissed. I would be holding on to that. And my mom and my dad would tell me when they'd put me to bed or when I'd go to bed, my mom, this would even make me madder sometimes, but she'd be like, And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You need to forgive and you need to forget. And you don't want to hear that. That's truth. That's literally the truth of God's word making you more angry. So that should be the conviction that the Holy Spirit has given you. But it's a tool on how to deal with it. Deal with it when it happens. So Paul then says, and do not give the devil a foothold. That third part is where it's at. You may think that holding on to your anger is a badge of honor, but all you're doing is you're just letting the enemy run your life the way he thinks it should be run. And his way leads the path to destruction. God's way leads to life everlasting. So this morning in your anger, deal with it when it happens. And don't, don't let the devil take you from a position of this is who I am with pride, with jealousy, and and make anger controlled in your life. Turn to God and thank him for what he's doing. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you this morning that you are king. I thank you that we have your word to light our path. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have a purpose for us. God, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And God, I thank you that even though we still fall short in sin today, that you want the best for us so that we can tell and show others the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I just pray on the hearts of those people who are here that if someone needs anything, that they would take that pride, put it away, and they would go out and seek the help that they need. And God, I pray that they would, they would be changed in who they are. And Father, help us to break free. Help us to break free and to love you deeper and more and draw close to you. And God, I just thank you for this church and for its people and its doors and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.